Hey, you are listening to The Workplace Theater. This is the podcast where we go behind the scenes of corporate real estate, talking to industry experts about how they shape the next generation workplace. I'm your host, Sabine M. And in today's episode, I'm speaking with Katrina Wertz on Uoha. Katrina is a business consultant and used to be a real estate strategy and portfolio manager for Shell in Nigeria. So hello, everyone. I'm um, speaking to Petrinia Wertz Onwoha, and I hope I pronounced her name correctly today. Oh, perfectly, perfectly. <laughs> the two of us met, I think, oh my God, it might have been more than five years ago at an enterprise CRE employment yes. seminar in Amsterdam uh-huh. in a very bizarre venue, I remember, because the building was still under construction, but nevertheless, there was exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was like multiple layers of seeing our work, right? Work in progress and working around and still learning. It was great. <laughs> yeah. So that's how we know each other. Yes. And since then, we've been connected and have exchanged on a couple of things um, during the way. So I'm really happy to have this conversation with her today. She used to work for Shell in Nigeria. She has decided to change her career last year or even the year before. And I'm, and I hope the audience as well, are dire to hear what you do now and how that all came about and what your professional background is. Okay. Thank you so much, Sabine. I think from the beginning, our energies just connected. So I've been blessed by that with um, sharing of ideas over the years and just really glad to have renewed through LinkedIn. I would say for me, it happened before I volunteered. You know, the opportunity came to leave early at Shell. So I've been there 13 years and I actually left November 2019. But what happened staring up in me is for the purpose. You know, I've been working continuously for 30 years. The only breaks I had were maternity leaves, yes, and which I had five of. And I had just decided that impacting people in a different way and expressing some of my gifts in a different way was important to me. And as you see light change, you begin to say, I don't want to leave this earth without you know, making certain things happen. So it was one of those big, big moments for me that said, hey, let me step into my purpose. So I have I probably what I would call this stage of my life is I'm an impactpreneur. So I'm identifying things that I really care about. I've been involved with public service and with training and coaching, bringing you know, Black history, bringing culture, working uh, with girls STEM, as well as even um, working with bringing Cornet into Africa, since we don't have a chapter there yet, where Cornet is a corporate real estate network organization with over 12,000 members worldwide. We want to have more of establishment in, in Africa. So those are projects that I care about. So some call this my sabbatical. I may come back again in full employment, but I'm really enjoying the things I'm doing now. In terms of my background, I began my career as an industrial engineer, and I worked in manufacturing for 14 years. One of the stories I like to share is that I was the first black female engineer at Harley-Davidson building motorcycles in York, Pennsylvania. We had over 2,000 people in the plan, and they never told me until I came, but What I'm most proud of is that I wasn't the last. So 
I was able to work on very significant projects related to matching resources to requirements, supply and demand. And that's really what corporate real estate is about as well, using space and using resources effectively. So doubling production. And I love the drive and push of Harley-Davidson. It's awesome, awesome environment. That was all in the United States. So I completed my BSIE as well as my master's in business administration at North Carolina State and Pennsylvania State University, respectively. Then my husband and I did something that people just think of and dream of. We picked up and moved our family 10,000 miles away to West Africa. And that began a whole new repositioning, discovery. And I'm the type of person that really feels that an unexamined life is an unlived life. So I put myself in a position of curiosity and learning all the time. And fast forward very quickly, I became the most predicted thing you would do from going from building motorcycles and managing manufacturing systems to being an executive in a bank. That was the first thing I did when I moved to Nigeria, managed everything on banking. Then I became a partner in a consulting firm that did learning organizational development, taking people around the world for different learning experiences, which I absolutely love. And then I was called to work for Shell in 2006 and um, managing something called location services. And then the adventures began. We'll talk a little more about that when we get into the projects, but Shell was quite an adventure. Actually, I have to say a lot of the people in say are not educated in the area specifically. A lot of them have this interesting life stories of how they came into the industry. That's kind of cool to see. Think of what you're doing now. Where do you think you profit most from your experience within a corporate real estate organization? Listening to people, really listening, often listening for the unsaid, being able to draw out in a consultative way to really understand, taking symptoms and linking it to root causes and then just, just problem solving. In corporate real estate, you had to bring your left brain and your right brain. And what I mean by that is that there is a science, obviously, where you're looking at the KPIs, you know, how much space are we using, how much energy are we using. And in Nigeria, you have an extra layer where you must even provide the infrastructure, you must provide the power, you must provide the water. There is no grid that you can depend upon. So the redundancies of systems, so you're actually providing your own power plant. Then you have the layer called workplace and, and those pieces that people aware of having to manage a power plant and the office. So that's what you see in a developing world. So anyway, there's the science and all the technical piece of that. But the part is needing to be able to read people and their needs when you walk into a workplace. And this is also maybe a link back to my manufacturing experience because I worked a lot in ergonomics and human factors. And that made me quite sensitive to how people fit into systems. So when you're in a workplace, the posture, are there pillows, are there feet? So picking up different symptoms and signs to interpret them as potential problems and solutions you need to bring out. So all of that piece of it was huge in the work that I'm doing now, as well as I would say the commerciality. When I became close to my hiring manager at Shell, I remember asking him you know, once I got in, how did my background attract me or you to me into a real estate role or infrastructure role? He said, well, Petrinia, you needed from your consulting background, 
you knew how to manage clients. And when you come into a real estate environment, that's highly expat. So in Shell, you have a lot of foreigners coming in. You're needing to provide residential facilities where they have house. So it's not just the office. You also need to take care of the whole person and their family and their spouse. And there was a gap in the market that the standard that's available is quite below the shelf standard. So even to close that gap, but also, so that's a piece of it, being able to manage the client engagement and sometimes reducing optionality, being able to say no, but still do it in a very, you know how we need to do in real estate sometimes, say no, but not really say it. Yes. And then being able to structure deals for profitability. So I already had the entrepreneurial side by being in a consulting firm. So, you know, so much of our work is managing contracts and you've got big outsourcing right and all of that. And the people, since I've been doing training and engaging with people, it was about, you know, the HR side and I managed HR before. So it was understanding people's requirements. And I said, well, you know, it wasn't the most obvious link for me. So that's how he explained it, is that you really needed a person that had the well-roundedness but also the ability to go deep in certain areas. You're exactly right. When you sit at any MCR event or CRE event, we often have these eclectic backgrounds. Some have come in through the legal door and then they just expand it. Some have come in through the HR door. Yeah. And I found that, I find that very interesting because it's a multidisciplinary type of work, right? Yeah, and it's actually supporting you if you have that open mind and view to different things and to, I guess, the empathy for people is a very important thing as well to not focus on, oh, that's just desks. So I actually had a little detour. I did work for investment advisory for two years because I thought I like number. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed financial analysis while I was on it in corporate real estate. Mm -hmm. But I hated it just because, I mean, I didn't hate the data, yeah. but I, hated it. I had contact with people and it was really cold and it was just the buildings. They didn't care who was in there as long as someone paid rent. Right. So I couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. I feel you completely. I feel you completely. Just the appreciation of people in spirit. And, and I guess as I have evolved, the energy, you know how we set up spaces now. We have energy hubs. That was one of the things that we were really, really driving. We introduced the first energy hub in one of our projects in 2007, 2008. But just to see how the person interacts and they see the colors and they see how we've laid out the space, you know, creating open open um, office space was a big, big change management project for us. We had behavior protocols and all of this. And so many people felt like you were taking away my walls, you're taking away what I've been working for and working toward for so many years. So the energy hub and the common spaces really had to be vibrant and really had to bring a lot of value in order for people to say, yeah, 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 this isn't so bad. And after a while, it became like, I look forward to my break time where I can have an active physical and mental break from the work. And that whole social connection, huge, huge, huge. So those are some of the pieces that I enjoy about corporate real estate as well. Yeah. Now, you've mentioned an important thing. It's like when you work in corporate or in real estate in general in Nigeria, it's different from what we are used to in the Western world. And we are kind of ignorant of not acknowledging that it's different and that it entails so much more. Mm -hmm. Now, can you tell me what was one of the most memorable projects that you had? Hmm. 
I love that question, Sabine, because like I said, unexamined life is an unlived life. And in this year, I've got to spend a lot of time in that reflection. One of the things that hit me, and I actually use it for teaching, was crisis management. And I take this from a serious perspective. One of the challenges working in a developing country and working for a major oil and gas organization is that not everybody wants you in their community and needing to deal with the community level issues, something that was very, very new to me. So I was hired, imagine December 1st, 2006, and Lagos, the big city, and you know, don't have many community issues there. Most of the things, it's like a New York, New York on steroids, over 20 million people bustling, 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 office, 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 very, very urban. In the place where we get most of our oil from is in a completely different kind of space where we had community people revolting and protesting that Shell was there. And one of the ways that they expressed it was to explode a bomb in one of our facilities on December 17th. So I was three weeks into the job and a bomb exploded at one of our recreation facilities in Parkour, where we have over 300 houses. And luckily, no one was hurt. As a company, we made a decision to evacuate all of the expats and their families out of the country. And that's 500 people and to do it over two days. So days in the job, don't know the hotel policies, don't know the international air. All these things I don't know that I'm responsible for, but I'm learning very quickly. And needing to not just move people from the location I'm in, but to take them from those places where we actually do the oil extraction. And that's in um, the West and the East. Let's just call it that way, the West and the East. Between those two locations, we have to move everyone from there to Lagos, the city. And then Shell has these corporate jet, you know, corporate, we charter large jets to take people back to their base countries. So that's the problem set, if that makes sense, right? Okay. Yes. Just to be able to do that in two days is like, wow, how are you going to do that? Imagine, Sabine, you, your husband, and your two kids are given two suitcases. Everybody's thinking they're leaving for Christmas. This is December 21st and 22nd. So you've got the emotion of little kids saying, I thought we were going on holiday to South Africa. Wait a minute, when are we coming back? So every question that they asked, we didn't have an answer because we didn't know if they were coming back. We didn't know when they were coming back. They had limits on how much they could take. So everything is, all your plans for the holidays were pretty much done. That's one thing that human and family side is not just the employee, it's the employee and the family and just the whole holistic side. We also then had a situation where at that time of the year, you have sandstorms. So all of our logistics of moving them from one place to the main hub in Lagos, first was supposed to take off, but then it'll be a sandstorm. And they so you could just see the whole logistics chain, right? So they would fly in the, in the domestic flights, get to Lagos, need to be in a hotel, and go from a hotel to the base country flight, but you got to get everybody from those different locations. All of them that are going to UK, the UK plane will be working, waiting for them. All of those that are going to Holland, the Holland plane will be waiting for them. But if they don't come in as they're expected, you can see the logistics side of it. So what I learned in my role was, number one, that people are at the center of what we do. And we had put all of these plans in place so quickly. Devil's also in the details. 
the code that was given for those planes we had chartered was NGR. Who knew the NGR of Niger? So we had all these people come to Lagos and the planes were actually in another country. They went to the wrong place. <laughs> but that was in the details. Who knew? So who's ever had to do something like this before? From a business continuity perspective, there had not been any dress rehearsal. So what did I learn and what did I love about it? So in my first three weeks, getting to work with everyone in the supply chain. So HR was on board. You had the logistics teams on board. You had aviation on board. We had our hotel contractors, you know, outsource services on board. We had buses. We had, you know, the airport needing to get people there and security. So being able to look at the child and the stroller and they're crying and the mom is trying to, you know, settle in the father. So that just put me, helped me really understand who my customer was and that the little things matter. And we were able to successfully get everyone out. And I would say for me, my first paycheck was a double paycheck. So that was really wonderful issue because um, participating on that project, we had the highest level of special recognition award you could get. So it was, it was just a wonderful way to start. And it helped me to know that I was working with all the people. Yeah. And it kickstarted the collaboration with the internal stakeholders, right? Getting close connection. Yes. When you know you can work through yes. crisis together, you can do everything else as well. Yes, yes. Because pain introduces us to ourselves. Pain introduces you to people's real selves. Because when there's pressure, it's difficult for people to keep up a facade. So you really get to see, and that forged just very, very special relationships in my life. You're very right, uh, Sabine. There are people that I was able to, so let's just say now you start working and you're needing, as we all do, to draw down on relationships. Because we had that shared experience, you had a lot of discretionary, people had a black and white opportunity. They could choose to go into gray with you because of that experience that you don't usually get when you first start in a role. So yeah. I was blessed by that. Yeah. And I guess in terms of business resilience, that's been a really interesting lesson. And actually, if you think back in 2020, It was exactly that, right? Nobody was prepared for remote work for for the exactly for the extent of it and for the suddenness with which it came. So, like overnight, everybody had to be like on their mm -hmm. and be okay. Nobody's coming to the office tomorrow. How do we handle that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think you know you raise a good point because that's when that story came up. Because in my John, John Maxwell work, we were doing some leading in crisis, and you needed to figure out what type of experience do I have? Because, you know, in life, experience isn't the best teacher. It's reflected experience, examined experience. And that's where you learn. Because otherwise, if experience was the best teacher, we wouldn't continue to make the same mistakes. So in me reflecting on when did I have a situation with so much uncertainty where all that we had were processes for status quo, we really had to Number one, know your onions. And what I mean by that is, and it's the same as 2020. So in order to create something new, you needed a foundation of knowledge that people knew for sure. So let's say, okay, I'll use another example because you were asking about some of my favorite projects. One of my most memorable projects was early, this was 2007 or eight. 
our business was going to grow like crazy or deep water. We were going to bring in, we got an office space that would hold over 2,000 people. So that's incremental 2,000 people. And we went through seven different offices before we found one. And this one was right next door to us. So it was, um, location was very good, but the condition of the building wasn't awesome. So we had to go through a gutting process of refurbishing. I was an operations manager initially. So commercially, it had been a challenge. And then it went to the operations and refurbishment mode and then behavior protocol. And we got the place ready, start moving in. And then the 2008, you know, that magic year, what happened? All of our dreams did not come true. So we had acquired space for 2000, but we probably only had a thousand or so, 50% occupancy. And Shell had never really had a need. It was a lease, long lease. It never really had a need to sublet. And Shell, you know, is very much a premium kind of brand. And I had the idea because my challenge was, when you ask about my stakeholders, I'm sorry. I had to manage the government relations. So as head of, head of the department, for SNAPCO, which is Shell Nigeria Exploration and Production. This is the deep water business. I had to get all the budget approvals for government since they, they have operator relationship with us. But we got all this money and we didn't bring the oil that would offset it. Just keep it very, very simple. So we had a shortfall. So one of my projects was then, once I moved into the commercial world, was to sublet. We had never sublet it before. All of our contracts were in the basis was like number of people, you know, number of security people, the cleaning contracts, nothing was per square meter. That's the point. Nothing was per square meter in terms of cost. So needing to collate all of that information and then try to take it to a per square meter basis and then come up with what our costs were so that we would know what we need to flip into the market was an exercise that required so much change management and mindset. Number one resistance was Shell should never be in need of needing to share space with anyone. So that kind of arrogance needed to be overcome. Number two was data. The structure of the data, we never had to think of our contracts in terms of flipping to the market and being entrepreneurial. And then the third one was really then looking at who and what's the criteria for the type of people that we would be willing to share our space with. So we were able to bring in and, and get an occupancy of about 500 people. I think it was about 500 people, which really did a very positive thing for a shortfall. And another building that was able to turn it from being a cost center to being a profit center. And that's about getting the right people on the team getting the right people who, like I said, know their onions, but now they have to position it in a different way. So one of the things that I found in, in my business, in my experience in corporate real estate was helping put a different lens on the work sometimes. So yes, you know how to do the cost internally, but now how do we make it face the market? So that was a very interesting and fun project. So how it relates to 2020 was that in order for people to solve problems, you need to really understand your existing systems because it's difficult to move into a phase of change if you don't have a good understanding of current state. So that has been my lesson as well. You can't kind of fudge your way through things and try to make it a good from two story, the A to B story. You gotta clearly understand A before you can define B. That's so true. I mean, I see that at a different level now to, compared to, to what you're discussing, but the 
I see actually corporate real estate managers being a bit in panic right now because they don't know what's coming and they don't know what to do now. My take on that would be, okay, you start where you are, what do you know? You look at that, you try to mm-hmm. get as much data as possible on the situation yeah, yeah. you had before and that you have now. And then you can try making assumptions and seeing where you need to adjust and what outcome that could have. Mm-hmm. Step by step, small mm-hmm, step, mm-hmm. and you go from what you know, yes. it makes it easier. Yeah. Yes, yes. Jim Crick calls it uh, SG, small, simple steps. Consistency compounds if you can continue to test. So what I love about projects like this or problems or dilemmas, you know, as an engineer, right, we want to have the number of unknowns should be equal to the number of equations that you have. What we're finding in the uncertainty of today, we have more variables than we have any relationship (laughs) equations to plug them into and solve for. So that puts you into a scenario perspective. And that begins to say, what are we observing? What are our beliefs? What are our potential outcomes? So if you have a scenario that has, okay, that people um, will be working from their physical home for a long period of time, you begin to ask the question, what will be their needs? What will be the potential risk associated with business continuity, you know, from a data perspective, from um, um, then you need to look at them from a resilience perspective, the, the mental and emotional needs of being alone. How do we do anything about that? As well as the physical side of like, you know, what type of chair am I sitting in? Am I going to get bored lumbar? You know, all those things that we did in the office that we had control over, now it's being distributed, you begin to ask the questions of what types of things could potentially begin to show up? What is the data again showing us? And then you can make a case for, do we do we go out to people's homes and kit their office with some type of standards so we can make sure that people aren't hurting themselves? And this whole sitting, I experienced just from sitting, Sabine, I don't know if you ran into this, but my legs just really changed. You know, from sitting so long, I would get up and then, you know, I didn't feel like myself. So what can we do in a be well mode? And I think all of those problems actually are are quite fun to design around. You begin to say, how do we distribute the standards that we already know to take them to people's homes, for example? And then you have, well, if we people need to come in maybe once or twice a week, you know, so what are the business needs and and continuity risk, I, I think, is a and that's starting from the place of we must have real estate. I think you must start from a place of people need a base to work from. You know, so start from the business processes and the outcomes and then working with backwards. Now we talked a lot about how it's about people servicing people. And I'm wondering were there certain because I'm very used to work with cost optimization goals, for example, or space efficiency goals. Mm-hmm. What were there success measures that you needed to work towards, or was it as basic and open as we need to provide a safe and attractive working environment for people in the country? Thank you for that. That takes me back to the art and science. So when we looked at some of the key measures for us as a business, we really labored under feedback from customers. So there was a the term of the show people survey. And that gauged HR, you looked at it, teams and leaders were measured on it. And then there was an environmental office workplace enablement section 
And that allowed us to track our improvements year to year. So that was a corporation-wide uh, review. So all the locations of Shell, not just Nigeria. We had a local customer service because we managed facility management, office moves, the, the soft and hard services. That gave us a sense. We also created one of my little projects was about the facility. So we got leaders in the business to also do walk-arounds and give reports. Uh, so that was a way to softly manage and build ambassadors for our change. What I mean by that is oftentimes, you know, if Cree is driving the change, 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 the office is improving, that's our narrative. But if we can get business leaders to also see that we were at zero last week, we're at two now, they can become some of the ambassadors that oh, they are improving and they can monitor it and, you know, be a part of it. So that was the soft thing and getting ambassadors to come into our space and be able to tell our story to the business. And then our other um, measures for us were budget adherence, contract, meeting the requirements, you know, KPIs there, HSC, as you said, and last but not least, commercial targets. It's interesting that the employee feedback is one that you mentioned first, where in many, many organizations, it's only coming now that they're paying attention to this. And they're like, oh, okay, if we want people to come to the office after the lockdown's over, we probably need to start asking them what they would like to see in the office. Exactly. Voice of the customer. Voice of the customer is huge. Yeah. Yeah. One of the projects I'm working on now is I'm training airline and customer service. And we were just going through this yesterday. What are the five questions to ask? Because customers that are not are dissatisfied, 96% of them don't tell you. Yeah. So you've got to find ways to have the right engagement so that you can have the relationship that you have the platform, you have the form for them to really say what they think. And then you are, you know, and you need a two-way, right? You know, got focus groups, you know, all the tools are available, but if we don't use a tool, it won't work for you. So, so it's being intentional about what are the outcomes you want and how do you want to delight and go to the next level and you just make decisions on how to use that energy. Yeah, that ties very nicely into a question that I'd have for you as well. With your background experience, your exposure to remote work as well, what do you think the workplace environments should look like in the future to be attractive and interesting for employees? I think... Flexibility, flexibility, flexibility. That's truly the watchword for me. Reliability in terms of Wi-Fi and all of the enabling systems, depending on the type of work that an office has. One of the things that I observed that was quite, quite unsettling for me was being during the lockdown. I was locked out of Nigeria in America and just trying to do banking from the U.S. into Nigeria. And one of the challenges that they had was the systems and access to be able to access certain controlled systems remotely. So that's a piece that's going to need to be worked out. And again, depending on your business, how do you do certain things remotely? What are certain things that you have to do physically? You know, So coming up with that and then having different types of people. But I guess for the future, you're going to have to find a way to entice people into a physical workplace. So 
Here are my observations. And again, this sudden do stream of consciousness very quickly. There are some people who are dying to get back to a physical office because being home with their people is driving them freaking crazy. Okay. And that's really the truth. It's like, you know, people yeah. realize that they had social distancing from their mate, right? Because they go to work every day. They were already social distanced. Now with the lockdown, they become, you know, with them. They're like, I don't know if I like them that much. Oh my God, I didn't know my child was so needy. Oh, my husband likes this and that. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So there's some people who are really interested in getting away and they would see it as a reward. Um, one of my friends and I were, were, were theorizing that being able to host retreats in our office space would be a very sweet thing for Crees to do. So if people were working remotely now, they would enjoy coming together for team building. And you were just talking about the energy hub. Can you imagine if as a Cree, we create a space where when people do come together, it's energized and there's something that they will look forward to because now, you know, scarcity drives up value. So if it's now a scarce experience and it's one that energizes me, you know, something about vibration that you get when you're physically with people that you may not be able to get through the screen. I've been working with some people remotely. And when I finally meet them, I'm almost six feet tall. And I realized some people are five feet. I had no idea. When we stand up, we're like this. It's something about that physical. What color are your eyes? Oh, your hair smells nice. You know, those pieces that help you to really bond. So when we have the opportunity to get them physically together, we've got to make it so energetic and make it so sense-based, sensory-based, that they then will register as something that they want again. That's one of my theories. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, colors are going to be good. Comfort in your, like where I'm sitting now in my office space at home, this is not an ergonomic chair. What is it doing to me? So when they come, being able to have a place, a lazy boy, a very, you know, making it very comfortable for me to do my work, we're going to have to compete compete for people's attention and wanting to be with us as compared to being in maybe their bubble at home. So I think that's a mindset shift that you'll have to make. It's like, you know, it used to be compulsory. You have to come to the office, therefore take whatever you get. Eh, maybe we'll try, but the default is you come. But now with the default not being that, you're going to have to do something that will attract people. And I think that's an interesting challenge. Definitely. It's going to be really interesting to see how it will play out in different industries and for different people and what the adoption actually is going to be. I mean, only the future can tell, right? Mm -hmm. But that brings me to my last question today. If you could magically, for the future, solve any real estate problem, what would it be? Well, I'll speak to a real problem in this part of the world, and it's about how great data is. You know, having the right data to support your decisions for commercial, what place do we go to, how much do we pay, getting the best deal. So that's one of my, if you want to call it magic, that's one reason why I want to establish Cornet in Africa, starting in Nigeria with our own, you know, because... Right now, there's a paucity of good data. We generally have what the asking price was, but we don't have what the ending price and what all the deal, you know, the terms and conditions. I know with what Locati does with providing granular data, and like we said, the certainty of your starting point A, if I could make that more certain with data so that when you're, most of us, real estate is in the business of the business. So 
they see it as an expense. So you've always got a stronger burden of proof. And if you had that clear data you could trust, then that would be the match. Can you imagine if you could take the energy that you use now to try to prove to everyone that you know what you're doing? Because everyone thinks everyone can do real estate, you know, in businesses. That's what you get. So the critique is so high. And if the granularity of the data isn't available, it just creates more work. I like to put more work into creativity. That's what I like to magically see. Better, believable, available data. I love it. It's been a major pleasure, Petrina. And uh, I'm really happy that we could shed some light yeah, on real estate, corporate real estate in part of the world that we tend to not think about. And maybe just one last thing. I, I used to do a visual for people to demonstrate some of the challenges. And, and that's why I really like to recognize heroes. There are some heroes in this environment that hold things together. You know, like a two-liter Coke bottle, you know how heavy it is if you try to hold it, right? You just hold it, you got to use some force. Just imagine that that Coke is the core systems that need to operate, right? Power, water, elevator, HVAC in a building. Now, because you now don't have that system consistently available, it's like you've got another buffer you got to operate. So imagine having Vaseline caked between you and that two-liter bottle. And you're trying to hold the system together, but you now have six power cuts a day. You have diesel not available to run. You've got plumbing systems that don't work. You've got fake products. You install the electrical, the ACs, the air causing fires. So you've got all this complexity in the system. So you're trying to hold fast and deliver this heavy thing in the middle But your interfaces, your Vaseline make it so difficult. So you're always in this tight grip mode. And I found that for me, all the interfaces I need to get to the core of my work make me stronger. You're sometimes in this state of, you know, all trying to hold everything together. And I would like a situation where as the infrastructure developed here, you would have less of that and we would be able to focus on the higher level of things. We're at the bottom of the pyramid. We've grown, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying that's the extra added when you have to provide your own infrastructure, being layer on top of real estate. So, but it's been fun. I've been in, living in West Africa for 18 years. I'm not going to complain. I'm still here, so I'm getting joy. Yeah, and you get at least nice weather right now, right? Oh, it's wonderful. Yes, I see your As my husband and I were sitting out <laughs> last night under the mango tree and just feeling the breeze and enjoying one another, so... Probably that's the other thing that 2020 has helped us to really boil down to what really matters. That's so true. Yeah. I will conclude with that. Yes. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you have enjoyed this episode of The Workplace Leader, there is more. Go visit our blog and have a look at some of the other topics we have covered. We have just released a study on corporate real estate in the US that you can download there. Or tune in to our next episode of the workplace leader.